0: Um, turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We um, come to a new passage today in Second Corinthians 3, verse 4 through 6. And I've given you some handholds, and we'll go back through those in just a minute. But probably a passage here in Luke 9 that's very familiar to you. And we have worked our way through with Paul, and he's drawn our attention to this overarching principle from the Word of God that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. A passage still stands out in front of us as we're going to reach that as we get to the end of Second Corinthians. And the and very very clear thesis, I think, from Paul, which is insufficiency, which is a key to being useful to God. That really flies in the face of our culture, uh, over-inflated sense of sufficiency and ability. Uh, we feel, really see it in just about every walk of life. But, um, so this has really flown in the face of culture, like most passages we deal with in Scripture. But this one, perhaps more than others. Uh, forgiveness, again, another one that uh, really flies in the face of culture where unforgiveness and the ability to uh, tell somebody off is really considered to be the pinnacle of intelligence and ability. So, again, we're just right where the Lord wants us, just kind of upside down in our, our view of what's important. But uh, we've looked at insufficiency as a key to being useful to God. And, and so before we continue, I think it would be enriching for us if we took a few minutes to look at Jesus' teaching on this crucial reality of insufficiency. And that teaching is found in Luke 9, verse 10. And I'd like you to look there if you would. Luke Luke 9, 10. And as soon as you get there, I want you to uh, read along with me. I'll be reading from the New American Standard. You can find that in the seat in front of you or just read in the copy that you read and study every day. I'll give you some verse cues and we'll stay together. Of course, this deals with the feeding of the 5,000. I'd like you to read a very familiar passage together with me. When the apostles returned... They gave an account to him of all that they had done. Taking them uh, with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. Verse 11, but the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and and curing those who had need of healing. Verse 12, now the day was ending and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat, for here we are in a desolate place. Verse 13. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. Verse 14. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them all sit down, to eat in groups of about 50 each. Verse 15, they did so and had them all sit down. Verse 16, then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. Verse 17, and they all ate and were satisfied and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. Stop right there. It's a marvelous passage, isn't it? It's so enriching to the soul just to read it. I hope as you work your way through yearly through the Word of God, you just so enjoy these sections in Luke and in Matthew that carry these marvelous stories of Jesus' ministry on earth and imagining being able to be there. I think it could be argued that this is one of the most significant miracles Jesus performed uh, since it's the only one God saw fit to record in all four Gospels. And there are at least three principles that we will pull out of the passage that will be very familiar to us. There, there's much we could say here, but these three will be very familiar and, and will reinforce the teaching we've had from Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 3, which is the reason why we're here. Now, I think it's perfect as our opener for our section today because as a disciple of Jesus, on this day in particular that we see uh, recorded for us here, in this passage, I think that insufficiency is an understatement. And yet, as we've learned... We're not any more sufficient to accomplish in ourselves any work of the ministry of eternal value than we'll see today than the disciples were to accomplish this task. I think we can make that connection pretty easily, and I think you'll see that uh, Jesus wasn't quiet about this subject or this topic at all. I think about Jesus's very direct command uh, and statement, rather, from John fifteen five, where he said, "I'm the vine, and you're the branches." He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You can Apart from me you can do nothing. Now as the passage begins, we know from the Gospel of John chapter 6 that the disciples had been out ministering. And so they returned to Jesus, and they're tired obviously, they've been on the road, they've been doing a whole bunch of things. And, and, and then we see you know, the apostles return from this first preaching tour, and they give an account to Jesus of all they had done. That's what we see in in our passage here in Luke, verse 10. And Jesus then takes them, he withdraws with them to the vicinity of Bethsaida, the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. Mark's account in Mark 6, 31 tells us that the purpose of the getaway was rest. He also um, explains that there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. So they got up and get in the boat and they start off across the lake, a distance of about four or five miles to Bethsaida. But the trip across the lake was really the only vacation they got, because they, the people saw them going and, and, run there and ran there from all the cities, and they arrived there ahead of them. That's what we see. And then verse 11 says this, um, but the crowds were aware of this and followed him. That's what we see in Luke. And when the disciples saw the crowd of needy people standing on the shore, they must have thought, oh man, can we turn the boat around? I mean, you can kind of imagine, I mean, they're coming off a long ministry trip, and then Jesus says, we're going to get away for some rest. They get in a boat. They're going to go to a place where they can get away from the crowd. The crowd sees them, runs right there, meeting them on the shore. And you can just imagine. I can think you can hear that in the voices when they uh, say what they say. And that's really where I think we get to the first point here. And, and this is one that we've seen all through the, uh, the section where we watched, we've seen Paul's teaching as he goes from place to place and there's always something to do. There's always need, there are always needs in the ministry. There, that work is never done. It's just kind of a a steady for sure that we know that in the ministry there's always going to be need. In the ministry there's going to be needy people. In the ministry there's going to be things that need to be done. And that's not going to end. And the fact that there were many people would go, you know, to all this effort to be with Jesus shows just how needy they were. And now obviously Jesus is using this situation for the training of the twelve. And you can see that easily uh, because uh, we we already know uh, from John's account in in chapter 6, verse 6, that his instruction, you give them something to eat, is followed by the parenthetical statement, knowing what he was about to do, he was going to test them. So he's got it all planned out. This is something that's in his mind. This is going to surprise the disciples, but it's no surprise to Jesus. And he's going to use this as an instructional time for them. And the miracle itself is really almost passed over. We're really never told exactly how Jesus did it, not that we would understand that anyway. But the focus is not really on the spectacular nature of the miracle, but on what it teaches those who serve Jesus about how he meets the needs of others through them. And I think that's the that's the key for us as we kind of wrap up this section on insufficiency, a key to being useful to God. I think this is really important. Now Christ will give us his adequacy to meet needs of people if we yield that inadequacy to him and we're going to see that in just a little bit. But really three things stand out in the story for me. First one we've already seen that there's always ministry needs, that's never going to end. Second one, which really relates to our current study, we're inadequate in ourselves to meet the overwhelming needs of the ministry. It's not it's not possible. And G- Jesus' example here, certainly in the ones we've seen from Paul, same lessons we've been learning. Now look at verse 12, if you would, of Luke 9. Now the day was ending, so after a very long trip, they come back to be with Jesus, they're going to have some time away, but they don't get it. They go across the lake, that's the only rest they get. They, they land on the other side, people have run all over, and they really right up, run right up to them. So the day's been long, and the day is ending, and the 12th came, and they said, send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside, and find lodging, and get something to eat, for here... We're in a desolate place, verse 13. But he, he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. And as we've said, the point for us is we're not any more sufficient to accomplish in ourselves any work of the eternal value than the disciples were to accomplish this task. It's a very clear parallel, I think, for us. And, and as we've said, the point for us is that. And now as he begins this lesson, we see this, uh, some conversation that really reveals the heart of the ministry that Jesus will accomplish. Now, did you notice, first of all, there's, and, and we just use this kind of as a side, did you notice the contrast between Jesus' attitude towards the multitude and that of the disciples? Okay, so Jesus welcomes them in chapter 9, verse 11, and the disciples say to Jesus, can we send them away in the very next verse? Can, can we please send them out? Jesus says, come, they say, can they go? And it could just be that you know, the disciples were being practical about how to meet the needs of the crowd, um, but given the situation, I think we're warranted to read some exhaustion into their voices. They're spent. They wanted a break. And then to their ears, Jesus says something that's impossible. He says, you give them something to eat in verse 13. And, and, and you can almost hear them say, say that again, Lord? You, you give them something to eat. And, and you know the numbers if you've read this before. You know there were 5,000 men plus women and children. And there are varying ways to calculate this number. But uh, conservatively, I think there could have been well over 12,000 and perhaps a good deal more. But at least that many. And so enough to certainly to fill up the vine center, a couple of thousand standing in the aisles and uh, many standing around the concourse. So that's the crowd, okay? So uh, all the food the disciples could come up with was five loaves and two fish, which came from a little boy, according to John chapter 6, verse 9. The entire incident really underscores their utter inadequacy to meet this overwhelming need. Now, the way in which Jesus... Met the needs of the people is as significant as the fact that he did it. And I think that's the point that I want to really focus on. So look at verse 13. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. Verse 14, For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, Have them sit down to eat in groups of about 50 each. Verse 15, and they did so, and he had them all sit down. Verse 16, and he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. Now, just kind of set back a little bit and think about all the options that someone like Jesus could have had here. Okay, Much like in, in the garden, uh, God could have created whoever he wanted, right? I mean, he didn't have to just t- create one man and one woman. He could have created like 12 people and said, work it out or whatever. And, and we, we've talked about that before. So uh, I'd like to think about well, all the options, the, the one who spoke everything into place could have had, in this particular situation, so here's a couple, and perhaps you're thinking of some too. But he he certainly uh, he certainly could have called down manna from heaven, and that wouldn't have been without precedent. So he could have called down manna from heaven. It certainly would have fit the situation. It certainly would have been easier on the twelve than twelve guys carrying around food for twelve thousand people. I mean, if you just think of the logistics of that, that took a while. I mean, you stu- you probably served in a line somewhere where people were really hungry. And- and you know how long that takes and how long to get people through the line. So you got 12 people. Jesus is calling down, um, and, and he's multiplying all of this uh, food. But he could have called down manna. It would have been more efficient, certainly, but he didn't do it that way. You know, he certainly could have spoken the word. and A loaf of bread and a fish could have appeared in each person's hand, very similar to changing water to wine right in front of the, right front of the servants. And he could have just said, boom, there it is. And, um, you know, I think that everyone would have been more awed at Jesus' power than they were with the quiet way that the miracle was done. would have shortened up the time to hand everything out and certainly the disciples would have liked that and and uh, for a hungry crowd that would have been nice i mean jesus could have called the angels to minister to the people and people would have been amazed as the angels sped that food over i mean there's any number of ways that jesus could have managed this and of course we can't even fathom of course all the possible ways he could have done it but how did jesus do it Verse 16, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looks up to heaven, and he blessed them, and he broke them, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. So he uses the disciples to distribute the bread and the fish to the people, and he's teaching them not not just that ministry demands never end, and not just that they are inadequate in and of themselves to meet those needs, but also he, he wants to use them to do it. He wants to meet the need through his disciples, and that's really the key thing that I I think is important. We're going to see in just a minute we have an an adequate Jesus, so I'm not going to use this as a point. But I think that's important because I think as we think about the title of our current study in 2 Corinthians 3, 2.12 through 3.6, and we think about inadequacy as a key to being uh, useful to God, I think it's easy to to think that we're not able to be used, or that God doesn't necessarily want to use us, or the fact that we're inadequate kind of disqualifies us from use. And, And I think this is the key here as we think about the passage you know he wants to use them he wants to do it he wants to use them to meet the needs uh through them and, and the type of people he uses are people who know they're inadequate to the task and, and and we talked about that early on in our study it's not that you're walking around saying oh i'm inadequate and that's where the blessing is somehow you know uh self-flagellating and you're just saying okay i'm, I'm terrible and then, then the lord says that's a blessing no it's, it's recognizing that you really can't do the work of the ministry for effectiveness for eternity without christ that you are ineffective and inadequate to do that, but the Lord wants to use them, see, and they couldn't rely on their energy, so they're tired, they're drained, they come back from ministry, they think they're going to get a break, and they don't get it, and so they're in the boat, that's the only break they get, and uh, they didn't have a lot of extra time, they were busy, they hadn't even had time to eat, and then they start handing out food to this big crowd, and, and that would have taken a while. They didn't have a lot of resources, they were poor, even their pooled resources wouldn't have been enough. In fact, Philip told Jesus in John 6-7 that seven months' wages, remember this, seven months' wages wouldn't be enough to feed everyone. So uh, their location would have made it impossible to generate that much bread and fish, even if there had been a market close by. So it was physically impossible. So how's it going to happen? Well, again, the same thing we see over and over in Paul's teaching, we have a Savior who is more than adequate to the task. We've seen over and over again, that, and we see Jesus teaching his disciples this lesson early in their ministry, Christ will give us his adequacy when we yield our inadequacy to him to use as he pleases. You know, remember Paul, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So rather glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may be visible through me. See, That's very, very, very similar to that whole attitude that Paul understood. Some people say, you know, I'll serve Jesus someday, but I'm too busy and I'm too stressed out and my family's got too much going on and I've got too much stuff on the side and whatever, and I'll, but I can't do it right now. You know? and, so, and, 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 you know, we've talked about this before. You know, some people say, you know, I'll give generously to the Lord's work after I get my finances in better shape, but right now I can't really afford to give. And, and I think the idea here is that they're making the mistake of thinking that serving Christ is something we volunteer to do when we're adequate in time and energy and financial resources, and then we choose to serve him. But I would propose to you that Jesus doesn't work through people who choose to serve when they feel sufficient to do it and feel like doing it. Not only does he not use those people, that's not effective at all. He works through his servants. Remember, Paul said, I'm a servant, I'm an under rower. Remember, we went through all these words a house manager. And servants don't tell their masters, you know, I'll clean your house and fix dinner tomorrow, but I'm too stressed out and busy to do it today. And servants serve when they're tired, and servants serve when they're emotionally drained and they're busy and they're lacking inadequate resources. Servants serve because they're under obligation to the master by the very definition of the term, see. Remember Luke 17.5? That's one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament. It has to do with, with servanthood. And Jesus' followers, are. they call on him and they say, I love this because he just, they think he's going to say one thing and he says something else completely. But uh, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. So he just shows about the, the power that faith, that having faith in the Lord's power, what it can do. But then he draws them back to the main issue. Now mark this, this is in the same response, okay? So not a different response. Lord, increase our faith. Verse 70 says this, which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? So get the situation, okay? So the the slaves are working in the field for their master, so it's employee-employer relationship. They're out working hard, they come in, they have other duties to perform, of course, when they come in, and which master says to the slave when he comes in, hey, sit down, I'll take care of you? None, okay, none, because there's more duty to be done. So he says, But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink? In other words, get something fixed, then go get yourself cleaned up because I don't want some sweaty guy, you know, serving me my food with dirt all over you. And then come and serve me my food. Okay, that's the normal course of how it works. Okay, and I'll sit down and I'll eat and I'll drink. And afterwards, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, Lord, increase your faith. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we're unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. So Jesus says, you want to increase your faith? Start by obeying. He says, faithfully do the jobs you've been given to do inside the sufficiency that I provided. Come in. I mean, you worked in my fields. I provided everything you needed. You come in. All the food's there. Just prepare it and serve it. Do what you're supposed to do. You want to increase your faith? Just start there. Now back to Luke 9, it's, it's physically impossible for his disciples to do anything here to meet this need. They are insufficient, Jesus knows this, he wants them to know it, and then he wants them to know that he is sufficient and he wants them to rely on him. Now how do we do that? Well, by recognizing our inadequacy. In John chapter 6, verse 9, uh, he says this, There's a lad that has five barley loaves, two fish. What are these for so many people? In other words, we can't meet the need. Once we've done that, see, once we've said that, once we understand it's impossible for us to meet the ministry need inside our own ability, Jesus can take our insufficiency and use it however he pleases. Five small loaves and two fish, that's not much to feed a crowd, right? Matthew chapter 14, verse 18. And he said, Bring them here to me. See, and that's the idea. That's still his invitation. And that's the clarity of this teaching time with his disciples. And that's the clarity that brings to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. See? Listen. Yes, you're insufficient. Now bring that insufficiency and let me use that, okay? It doesn't mean you deal yourself out. It means you deal yourself in. Apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. So it's not a surprise that you can't do anything on your own for ministry purposes. Give your inadequate resources your inadequate abilities to Jesus. The insufficiency becomes more than sufficient when surrendered to Christ. And just as a footnote for clarity, we have to yield our inadequacy to him, and here it is, to use as he pleases, Okay? It just comes by the definition of who we are as servants and under and and laborers and ministers. The disciples weren't giving the orders here. They're following Jesus' orders. Uh, that's what Paul found in following the sufficiency of Christ's leadership. He said, I came, remember this in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, 12, he says, I came to Troas for the sake of the gospel when a door was opened for me in the Lord. I, I went and did this because the Lord is the one who led me and he opened the door. I'm, I'm not giving the orders here. I'm a follower. I'm a servant of Christ, see. And and Paul could have said, you know, Lord, honestly, I'd rather stay in Ephesus. I mean, to be honest, if I had my preferences, let me stay in Ephesus. I think I'm more effective here. Or, you know, Lord, it'd be great if I could find Titus, which is the reason why he was moving around anyway, and you know this, and then go back to Corinth and finish my work there and straighten out the remaining issues. Just give me some power there, Lord. That'd be great to to be effective and really straighten this church out. No. And here in Luke, you know, Jesus says, you know, Have them reclined to eat in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples could have said, you know, eat what, Lord? What are they going to eat? It's not going to work. I've got a better idea, Lord. Let's pool our resources and go buy something. Or let's just send them all home. Or let's send them out to the the surrounding communities they can find something to eat, they can find places to lodge. No, they followed his leadership. See, and we need to yield ourselves to him and let him do as he sees fit. See, the lesson is this little insufficient lunch because this is what he does with us when we give him our inadequate ability and our insufficient resources. So just pause right there. How are you doing with that? So here, and I'm going to get back to this in just a second. I just want you to think about this question. So if everybody at Berean was surrendering their inadequate abilities to the Lord to use however he pleases, like you are, how would we be doing? If they're at the level you are, would we be effective? If everybody gave at the level you're giving, would we survive as a church? I mean, that's a, I think that's a really practical question, right? If, if, that's the, if that's the call to everyone, and not just a few, but everybody's been gifted with, with spiritual gifts and, and the ability to attend to one another, right, that Peter says, then isn't it, isn't it uh, reasonable to say, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with giving up your, giving to the Lord your inadequate resources for the work of the ministry, plugged in a Berean, how are you doing? And if everybody else was doing it like you're doing it, how would we be doing So, as you think about that, it takes us to our second footnote and, and i don 't want to dwell here too long. The first one is you know we must yield our inadequacy to him to use as he pleases, but the second one is this: um, you just yield what you have not what you not what you don 't have you know and that just sounds obvious you 're you okay and here 's the deal Jesus and I just want to dwell on this just temporarily, because it's just a marginal observation, not the main emphasis, I think, of the passage. But, you know, Jesus didn't use all the bread in Bethsaida. He didn't even say, okay, see if we can pool the resources and see what's available. And the disciples didn't have what it would have costed anyway. They, They couldn't have afforded it. So, he used the five loaves and two fish that they did have, not what they didn't have. It's it's insufficient, but it's all they have. And Jesus doesn't ask you to give him what you don't have. He's not asking you to do something that somebody else does. He's just asking you to do what you do, okay? Just give the inadequate resources, the inadequate abilities, and let him use you as he sees fit, see? Because he's calling the shots, not me, not you, okay? And again, I, this is the reason why most of us will never really be useful to the Lord, and that's, I keep coming back to this, because we war against this, Okay? We war against saying we're insufficient. We want to be sufficient, and that's why we're not going to be effective. We, we saw that you know sufficiency of the Word of God, and we see why many pastors are not effective, because they do not teach the Word of God. They teach what they want to teach, and they use the Word of God to support their own agenda. And that's why many will not ever be effective for the work of eternal uh, changing of life to life or death to death in the ministry of the Word, because they don't even use the Word of God uh, in, in the teaching format just use it to support their own thoughts. And so again, I just come back, this is the reason why many of us will never be useful to God because we're too strong or at least we think we are and we think we're adequate in ourselves and the Lord does not want our adequacy. He wants us to realize we're inadequate to the work of the ministry so he can supply the adequacy. See? When I was a young man, and perhaps you have read some of these my granddad gave me a series of books by Watchman Nee. Does that recognize you recognize Watchman Nee is a Chinese believer. Not many people Not many people know who he is. I would encourage you to read uh, some of his books. Very interesting reading. He was a Chinese believer who worked in church planning in the 1920s and the 1930s. Spent the last decade of his life in prison. But his perspective of our insufficiency to the task of ministry and Christ's overwhelming sufficiency is that he expresses it this way. Everything in God's work depends on his blessing. So... Bringing our own things to the table in some way thinking we're sufficient is not going to elicit God's blessing. He, he says that in order for us to be effective, he says that has, God has to bless it. And, and to have God's blessing, we have to rely on God's ability to make much of nothing. And, and if, if, we're, if we're relying on our own ability, then we should expect results that are insufficient to the need. But he says if we're counting on God's sufficiency, that we're in a place where God can bless the effort and we can expect that what will be done is in proportion to God's ability. See? And that's how he said you can measure that. If you're you're investing your insufficiency and letting God use it, you should see him be able to bless that beyond what you could have done on your own. So it's a very easy measuring device, if you will, as you think about insufficiency and Christ's sufficiency. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless... uh, Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early and retire late to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. So see, it's all over the place, okay? Now, beloved, that doesn't mean that we should be lazy or not work hard at the ministry that the Lord has given us. Remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says, I labored more than all the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God at work in me. So even in his recognizing of his work ethic, he said it was the Lord working through him. Okay? He worked hard. He just realized that God was blessing his weakness. Last week we saw 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. We saw, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, verse 7, neither is the one who plants nor the one who waters anything uh, but God who causes the growth. He had a job to do, he did it with the power of Christ, and the outcome was in proportion to God's ability, not Paul's ability, not Apollos' ability, see? He, he recognized that early on. He says, listen, I planted, so he had a job to do. It wasn't like he was lazy or wasn't working. He just recognized he was insufficient to accomplish the task of ministry, so he did the job that God had given him, uh, and he planted, Apollos did the job that God had given him, watered those seeds that were planted, and God was causing the growth. So then he says, neither does the one who plants, nor the one who waters, anything. So, so just get the eyes off the, off the individual, see, but God who causes the growth. And so we look at verse 17 quickly, and, and we'll return to this, finish up our section in 2 Corinthians 3, 4. So look at verse 17 of Luke 9. It says this, and they all ate, and they were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, 12 baskets full. Now, If you think about watchmanity, that is the overabundant adequacy of the Lord's ability. That, That is to measure then what you're unable to do, then as the Lord does it, it should be in proportion to what the Lord can do, you see? So the outcome was in proportion to God's ability, not their ability. And we're going to see this passage soon, but Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, God puts, remember this? This is a marvelous passage. Puts his treasure in our weak earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power is clearly from him and not for us. He takes he takes these, his marvelous power and puts his treasure in our weak earthen vessels so that we, everybody who sees it, and we included, will look and say, this is from him and not from us. Let's see, His strength is made perfect in our weakness, right? Do you think there was anyone in that group of 12,000 plus who thought the disciples did this on their own? I mean, they're the ones who were saying, hey, can we send him home? Just let them go out to the community. I mean, let them find something to eat there and let them sleep there. We need a break. No, nobody was thinking how amazing the disciples were. Without the Lord's power, five loaves and two fish are woefully inadequate. With his power, it's more than enough. And that's what we've seen in our study. See, Paul knows he's insufficient to the task of bringing about change in the church in Corinth. That was our, almost our opening statement as we looked at Paul's frustration in writing multiple letters and waiting for Titus to return and frustrated and scared and worried about all that's going on and begging the church to treat Titus with respect and begging the church to treat Timothy with respect and make him dwell there without fear. And all that kind of stuff is in Paul's mind, see? He knows he's, he cannot change by the power of his own will or anything he's bringing to the table on his own in his flesh that church and court. It's impossible for him to do it in the flesh, so he relies on Christ's leadership. And, if, as we, and you can flip back to 2 Corinthians 2 because we're going to get back there right now. So he relies on Christ's leadership for the propagation of the gospel, as we just saw. And he follows it. And for doors to open, because the Lord opened a door for me, he said, for Christ's heart for the ministry, I I was burdened in my spirit. And Paul says, you know what, we we understand if your your adequacy is Christ's leadership, he's going to give you that burden, that heart for ministry. Uh, For those who've walked away, for those who don't know, see, And he finds great joy in the middle of difficulty and in the assurance that Christ has promised to lead those who follow him in triumph. That's a marvelous passage, isn't it? And he always promises to lead us in victory. Paul says, listen, you follow Christ's leadership, you have the assurance that Christ leads us in victory. And he'll make them the fragrance of himself to the world. And then we've seen that Paul knows his, his words are powerless to accomplish eternal impact, so he trusts in God's words for sufficiency in the ministry. And when he does that, he knows that he's made to be the very fragrance of Christ to God himself. So when you, when, you, when you minister the word, you stick with it. You deliver it from the kitchen to the table without messing it up. And you know what? That becomes the fragrance of Christ to God. He watches. He's exalted his word equal to his own name. And God is the most important audience. Yes, you minister to people. But ultimately, the Lord watches what goes on in the church. He's the most important audience that we have. And when we're worried about pleasing him we'll be able to meet the needs of people because we're using Christ's power in us, see? And the word of God allows the Lord to accomplish all he wishes to accomplish in the lives of people. Paul says, I'm insufficient in my own self and my own words to accomplish anything, but I know that the Lord can accomplish life to life and death to death, and he pleases him in both areas, see? But only when we're using the word of God, see? And we see, he goes, you know, we, we, we don't manipulate the word. We're not a, we're, we're a pander of the word of God to sell it. We're not trying to water it down so people will buy it. Never, Paul says. Not like some. Finding sufficiency in the word of God reveals his true character. Paul says, you know you know that you can trust me because I just give you the word of God. That's it. Sufficiency in the word of God. He doesn't have to wonder how to help people because God's word is a source of every message, of all counsel, of all advice, admonition, correction, instruction. It's sufficient to the task. And being sufficient in the word of God allows him to stand up, To sovereign scrutiny. Paul says, you know, I say this before Christ and before God's very presence. I rely on the word of God, and as Paul says that, he knows he's right there in God's scrutiny. And then Paul confirms that as we move through 2 Corinthians 2, the last part, he puts no confidence in any accomplishment or anything anyone says about him or anything he says about himself as we move into chapter 3. He says his confidence is in the sufficiency of the gospel, and he knows that those who find their sufficiency in the gospel don't need the affirmation of anybody. I don't have to give you a letter of recommendation, and you don't have to have it from someone else for me. My reputation, Paul says, isn't dependent on the testimony of anybody else or even my own words of commendation for myself. Those who find their sufficiency, Paul says, in the power of the gospel, rejoice in the happy awareness. Catch this, that the Lord has used them to accomplish his plan of salvation. And nobody can take that from Paul. He gives out the gospel. It always changes hearts, and Paul just knows this is God's power through me. Nobody can take this away. You can run me down. You can say terrible things about me. You can be disrespectful as they were to Paul constantly. Paul says, my encouragement is that you are our letter, and everybody can see it. Regardless of what you say and what some people are saying around you, nobody can deprive me of this happy awareness that the Lord has employed me to bring in part of the harvest. Paul's relying on the leadership of Christ. He's relying on the on the words of God himself in the word, and on the power of the gospel. And wherever he goes, he has this internal witness from God, and his confidence remains unshakable. And he can count on the sufficiency of the gospel to change lives. It's always powerful to do it. You are a letter of Christ, known and read by all men. gospel goes out, he does this change. And Paul follows that principle by affirming his insufficiency and his confidence that God has blessed his reliance on the leadership of Christ, on the word of Christ, on the power of the gospel, and now on his calling as a servant of Christ. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, and we'll begin to wrap up this section. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. So he starts with, we have this confidence through Christ towards God, but not because we are able in our own flesh to do it. We're not adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And that is principle number 16. As you walked your way through that with us, principle number 16 is this. And this is so cool how this has come around first circle. It, and that's why we started with this passage out of Luke. You know, the Lord wants to use you. He desires to. He desires you you to bring your inadequate resources and your ability and all inadequate ability and just be used. And that's the principle 16. When you have confidence that your adequacy for ministry comes from God, here it is, beloved. You don't have to second guess your calling. Everything just becomes an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power. You know, I've talked to pastors just like, they're like, I don't even know if I made the right decision to get into ministry. Well, I think we're having the wrong conversation here. Because if you decided to get into the ministry, then you were, you were wrong-headed to begin with. The Lord was gonna call you to that ministry, make it clear to you that's where he wanted you to be, and then you came into it hopefully knowing that you were woefully insufficient to the task. But that doesn't mean that you're useless, the fact that you started there means that you were, you were the right clay that the Lord could use for whatever he plans to do. And that's his, that's his job, right? He d- and I've told you this before, over and over since I've been here. I don't know what the Lord does in Berean's congregation on a day-to-day basis, and I don't know what he's doing over the long haul either. He, he, different, people, different ones of you are in different places in your spiritual walk. That's not my responsibility, my responsibility is to deliver the word of God to you so you're efficient, sufficient for every good work and thoroughly furnished for everything that you need to do, see? And the Lord does that work. And, and so my encouragement to pastors who feel a little discouraged, listen, you should feel insufficient to the task. And, you know, there's always work in the ministry to do. And you should always be troubled in your spirit. Paul says, of all the hardships that I endured all over my whole life, you know, dangers in the deep and dangers in the land and dangers from my countrymen and dangers from... Besides the constant concern for what? all the churches It was never a time paul wasn't thinking about you know demetrius over here or 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 john over there or mark or somebody something going on see and he was writing letters all the time taking care of those situations see so paul says listen such confidence we have through christ towards god and the boldness It isn't pride, and the confidence isn't haughtiness. Paul says, I don't think anything's coming from me. You know, I don't consider anything as coming from ourselves. But that doesn't mean nothing's happening, you know? Just because nothing's coming from your flesh doesn't mean nothing's happening. But our adequacy is from God. You know, once you get to a certain point, like Paul, verse 4 says, such confidence we have through Christ towards God. I'm absolutely certain, Paul says, that whatever the opportunity that comes up, whatever the door is that is opened, whatever obstacle appears in the way, it's just a chance to show again that God is adequate and He has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. See? It's just this confident assurance that I'm right where the Lord wants me to be. I'm inadequate to the job, and he's working through me because I'm confident in his leadership. I'm confident in the word of God. I'm confident in the gospel that goes out. See? And so he's just made us adequate as servants of the new covenant. And, And, you know, once the disciples figured this out, that they couldn't accomplish anything on their own, they had this confidence like Paul had too. Once they figured out that, you know, abide to me because apart from you you can do nothing they had this confidence and I want to just real quickly before we end I want to draw your attention to this and it'll, it'll resonate I think with you as you read it but Acts 4 8 Peter's preaching and he's healing and God heals the lame beggar and the disciples are there and there's power in the ministry okay nobody's claiming they had the power to heal, heal the lame beggar the Lord is doing this and a great number have come to faith and, and along comes the priest and the captain of the temple guard and they arrest the disciples and they throw them in jail and, and uh Uh, Let them sit there overnight and then they call them out and they question them and that's where we pick up in this passage Okay, so verse 8 says this and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them rulers and elders of the people if We are in on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well Well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you here in good health. Verse 11. He's the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, and and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, now as they observed, now mark this, beloved, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. What did they observe? The same type of confidence Paul just got through talking about, right? And what did Peter say? If somehow you think we did this on our own, I proclaim to you that we did not. This was done in the name of Jesus Christ. So was it confidence in themselves? No. Did they think they knew what was going on in Luke chapter 9? Hey, let's send them out to the, the, the community. They can find something to eat and rest there, and we won't have to worry about it. Send them away, Lord. I'm tired, right? The Lord's like, no, you give them something to eat. What? We don't have enough money even to buy all the bread that we need to feed them right? We've we've just got these loaves and fish. So woefully inadequate, had no idea what to do, began to recognize that Jesus was going to direct this whole show, and they weren't. And he was also going to empower the whole thing, and they wouldn't have to rely on their own power. And they get to this point, and they're standing before the high priest, Caiaphas is there, Ananias is there, I mean the, the temple guard is there, all these people are watching. These are uneducated men, these are people that fell flat on their face multiple times while Jesus I mean, they're on the way to foot washing and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Okay? That's a long way to go, isn't it? That's the correct direction to go, though, right? Why were they confident? Well. Was it in their own ability? No. Their, their sufficiency to preach life to life or death to death? No. Was it the ability in their witty words and their antidotes and their cool videos so they could change somebody's life? No. Their confidence came from the same place that Paul's came. Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming, from ourselves. None of those loaves and fishes came from the money pooled together. And none of those people were fed ministered to by the power of the flesh. And we don't cast out demons and we don't raise people from the dead on our own. These are disciples. They're saying, hey, listen, this didn't come from us. God does all of that as he wishes through those who know that they must operate in his power, trusting him to lead and open the doors and work through his word and work through the power of the gospel. It's very simple, really, when you come right down to it. We make it much more complex. You can have confidence because it isn't earthly confidence, see? Paul says, I have this confidence through Christ towards God. I'm not adequate in anything. But I can still have confidence, it doesn't mean nothing's going on. So there they are, they're standing before the priests and the temple guards and eventually the high priest. They're uneducated men, they, they couldn't in the flesh argue for Christ effectively. There's no way they would have been able to do that against those educated men, the pious religious leaders, see? But you know what, little is much when God's in it, right? Just like five loaves and two fish, woefully insufficient in the hands of the apostles, overwhelmingly sufficient in God's hands. So they stood there and no doubt remembered Jesus' words in Matthew 10:18, and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you're going to say, for it's not you who speaks, but the spirit of the, your Father who speaks in you. Were they worried about it? Perhaps. When you feel insufficient to the task, you feel really exposed. Yep. When you pre- prepare messages Sunday after Sunday, you wonder if that's gonna, they're going to be effective. Sure. What do I do to reassure myself? Okay. How closely do we say to the text? I, I don't know what's going on in, in, in your life any more than you know what's going on in mine. The Lord knows. Minister through his word to make you adequate for every good work. Thoroughly furnished. So they were all sufficient as christ 's servants see and said corinthians three five says this, and they all knew this: for our adequacy for our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not the letter but of the spirit. Look at verse look at verse five, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul says he made us. What's the foundation of the confidence? He made us adequate. Hikonosin, erist, active, indicative. Past action, present reality. He qualified us. He, he's done this. He equipped us. He equipped Paul with spiritual gifting. He empowered him through the indwelling Spirit. He gave Paul a disability to remind him to rely on God. Paul didn't accept it very well, did he? Three times he said, Lord, please take it away. The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I know, Father, but I'd really like to have a little confidence in myself here. I'd like to feel a little better when I walked up before the people, knowing that, you know, I could do this. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Let's see, He qualified us. And Paul knows this now, and he knows he's nothing special. And, and he and all those that follow the master in this way know they're just servants of the new covenant. See? Diakonos. Attendants. Table waiters. Ministers. All the words we've looked at before. That's the scope. The confident servants. A servant knows what he's supposed to do. A table waiter knows he's supposed to serve. Okay? An under rower works in the galley. An, an attendant in the synagogue held the scroll for Jesus. No eyes on the attendant. Right. Jesus read from the scroll and handed it to the diakonos, that the attendant. And then, what was who was everybody looking at? Christ. See. Just do what you're supposed to do. That's, you know, that's no big deal, right? Jesus, Jesus is the big deal. See, Jesus is the big deal. Let's pray. You be dismissed to prayer. So Lord, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for the fun that we've had going through it. We thank you for the joy that it brings to our own heart as we think about all that, um, all that you have accomplished already in the giving of your word and in the in the indwelling Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that uh, as we really took a little self-evaluation, maybe about fifteen minutes ago, that you've begun to work through that whole thing. And Father, I pray that you'll work through your word, help us understand that the meanings here. Uh, the teaching that Jesus had in mind for his disciples and how they learned the lesson and were confident, not because they, were, they had ability in and of themselves, but only because they knew they were insufficient to the task and they just relied on you. So, Father, as we look at our own life, as how we give, how we, uh, how we minister, Father, if all were doing that, how, how would we be doing as a church if we were doing it like you're doing it? If we were giving like you're giving, would we be able to do it? if we're serving like you're serving? Would we be okay? The Lord's equipped you with spiritual gifts. He's helped you understand through his word today that you're insufficient to do anything of eternal value, but not, that doesn't mean that you do nothing and doesn't mean there'll be no effect of your serving. It just means that the one who's going to impact is the one that you serve, not you. So, Father, help us again. Thank you for all the servants we have here. Thank you for the many who Who are table waiters, many who are attendants, many who are ministers, many who who attend to the needs of others. You really want to know how to get started, start attending to the needs of people around you. You find yourself as labeled a good steward. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the blessing of it. Thank you for the blessing of ministering together with these folks. Thank you for the years that you've given us. Thank you for the blessing of uh, encouragement and even discouragement, hardship, and good times Thank you for the souls that have been changed. Thank you for many who have gone into the ministry, those who have been, found a place to serve and are doing it well, ministries that have opened up because people took them on. Thank you for all those things. And I pray that you continue to bless and encourage us uh, as we do these things, as you see fit. But even so, Father, help us to just be those kinds of faithful servants that uh, don't expect you to serve us just because we did something for you, but instead just to continue to do the job and obey, knowing that's what you expect. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus, who we long to see, and all God's people said, amen. A couple quick announcements, and then I want to mention to you just a few things about the family, so that you can be in prayer and have some jobs to do. But a couple quick announcements, of course, that um, if you look at at a glance in your uh, we, we publish this for you if, if it's helpful. Uh, open her on up and you know mark some things that you want to be involved with. We'd love for you to do that. Um, September 5th, back to Awana night. We're looking forward to having all our little ones back with us and all of our workers. So many faithful people who've given themselves away there, and we're so grateful for you. And September 8th, uh, coming up, church-wide fall work day. Big. We have got a couple big uh, big uh, projects. We'd love for you to be there. It starts at 9 o'clock. But the main project is going to be, for all you outside workers, is that bed that's out there that faces that direction. We're going to do something about that, all right? And, uh, in fact, we're going to just clear the whole thing and plant grass. So there's a lot of work that's going to be done. And it's going to look nice when we get done. So love for you to be here to help us do that. Many hands make light work. Children's ministry luncheon's coming up. If you are currently serving in our children's ministry or if you're interested in serving in children's ministry, uh, we would love for you to be at that luncheon. It comes right after church on the September 9th. Uh, there's also a church business meeting on the 16th, right after the morning service. That's for new members coming in, and so we're we're excited about that. Love to, for you to be there and stay uh, for that. A couple other things coming up. Make sure you look. Also, um, midweek at uh, from 5:30 to 6:30, we have uh, what we call our fellowship dinner. It's our, uh, really a time to just encourage one another and sit with one another, break bread. It's a catered uh, dinner. It's breakfast for dinner this uh, this Wednesday. We'd love for you to be here. If you're a guest here today, so if you've not been here before. Or if you've been here but you've never been to the midweek fellowship dinner 5 30 6 30 please take the card that's in the pew in front of you fill that out if you would and give that to will uh right there at the table and let him know that it's your first time and we'll make sure you have compliment you're able to go complimentary for the rest of you it's four dollars uh, for adults children four and under eat for free so it's uh, all you can eat a great time to be together uh, it's fellowship is important for the church beloved did you know it makes for it makes for a closer church it makes for an intimate church it allows us to know what's going on, pray for each other, meet each other's needs. You're not fellowshipping, you don't know what's, at, what's going on, okay? If you're just coming on Sunday morning, you're missing out on the, the majority of the life of the church, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. So let me encourage you and, and invite you again uh, to come and be part of that, okay?